the 2005 Oklahoma Sooners, the 2006 Texas Longhorns, the 2007 Texas A&M Aggies, the 2008 Texas Longhorns, the 2009 Oklahoma Sooners, the 2010 Kansas State Wildcats and Baylor Bears, the 2011 Texas Longhorns, the 2012 Missouri Tigers, the 2013 Kansas State Wildcats, the 2014 and 2015 Oklahoma Sooners, the 2016 West Virginia Mountaineers, the 2017 West Virginia Mountaineers, Baylor Bears, and Iowa State Cyclones, and the 2018 Texas Tech Red Raiders and West Virginia Mountaineers. Congratulations, you are the rightful Big 12 champions for the last 15 years. the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to the first ever double bonus podcast with your co-hosts Brendan DeRocher and Tom Borstein. We're here 15 days out from the start of the college basketball season. Um, just coming to bring you some college basketball analysis, discussion, conversation, and hopefully some fun um, so I'll throw it off to Tom, and he can um, you know, tell you a little bit about himself and uh, why he's recording this podcast, who he roots for, etc. Thanks, Brendan. Good to be with you. I am the rare Long Island-raised Kansas basketball fan. That's Brendan's little cold open tweak, and I will go to the grave maintaining they will not be losing any of those titles. They may lose an assistant coach in the next few years, but they're not losing any Big 12 titles. But I like the Kansas Jayhawks because I like the name Adonis Jordan, and I like the name... Uh, sorry, I like the fonts on their jerseys when uh, I was homesick with the flu, coincidentally, every March Madness in the early 90s. So that's why I root for Kansas. And Brendan has a little bit tougher in his college basketball rootings, uh, and he'll tell you about that. Well, I mean, I didn't have to root for Wayne Simeon and against Bucknell <laughs> back in 05. I think that was the only time ever, or the last time, that a number one ranked preseason team didn't win a game in the NCAA tournament. But I, I mean, that's neither here nor there, Tom. Um, so... <laughs> I uh, I am a big fan of the Providence College Friars, five straight NCAA tournaments under Coach Ed Cooley, born and raised in uh, Rhode Island, um, right near Friartown. My dad used to grow up watching folks like Lenny Wilkins play at Alumni Hall. Uh, I also went to school at Northwestern, so I'm a Northwestern Wildcats fan. Uh, I started school the same year that Bill Carmody started at Northwestern, and so I saw that a Princeton offense in 1-3-1 zone, and now um, I've Chris Collins, you know, is a Duke guy. We'll get into Duke at some point, I'm sure. But there's a little bit of love-hate between me and Chris Collins. But he did lead us to the NCAA tournament and a win. So you can't complain too much about that. No. And I went to Columbia, and I saw some Princeton offense. I might see the, might have seen the only version of the Princeton offense worse than Bill Carmody's under Armand Hill at Columbia. <laughs> Team that went 2 and Oof, what was it, 2-25, and 25, I think, in 2002-2003, one of the worst college basketball teams of recent memory. So, yeah, we've we've had our exposure to the Princeton offense, both of us. And, and Armand Hill, I think, failed up to become an assistant coach with the uh, world champion Boston Celtics in 2008. Um, I think he might still be with the Clippers. I don't even know where he is now. But Close uh, around the NBA. Pete Carroll's a good person to know if you want to be an assistant basketball coach. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we are here to, uh, I'm not sure how this is going to go, but we, um, Tom and I used to work together for a long time and sat about 20 feet away from each other, um, but now we don't, and so we don't get, don't get to talk quite as much as we used to. Um, this is a way to kind of force us to talk, and we, I'm a huge college basketball fan, and uh, Tom is too, and we both have kind of been in the 
around the industry for for certain reasons at certain times. You know, I used to cover college basketball, Big East basketball for SNY. Uh, I've done some coverage for uh, First Scout and now 247 Sports, mainly around the Big East and, and Providence College for a couple of years. A friend of and I ran a website called BaselineStats.com where we did advanced stats uh, analysis and writing um, and did NCAA tournament projections and, and such. For one year, my friend Dante and I did a, a podcast, the Big East cast, um, I, I remember it not probably being very good. I do remember <laughs> recording the um, the intro. It was over music, and and I was kind of trying to do like a then and now, the Big East. You know, it's like old school, like Patrick Ewing and new school. And for some reason, I don't know, I thought it was going to be really good. My new school guy was like Edgar Sosa of Louisville, which didn't pan out too well. He never he really was there for about into... seven years, though. <laughs> yeah, and um, he never learned how to shoot that whole yeah. time. Yeah. No, he did not. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Um, Ken Pomeroy, you'll hear that name a lot, or maybe just Ken Pom from here, from time to time. Many of you listening might already know who he is, probably do, but in case you don't, you know, he's a meteorologist uh, from Utah who, uh, you know, also is like the forerunner of advanced stats analysis for college basketball, because of course, why wouldn't that be the case? Uh, (laughs) One thing obviously leads to the other. (laughs) He's known for, um, you know, tempo-free stats, as well as um, like a seafoam green website. Um, and he also writes for The Athletic. Um, and uh, anyway, so Ken Palm, what he used to do with his preseason rankings is he used to kind of start from scratch every year. So for the first month or so of the season, they were basically useless. You'd have huge swings from day to day based on how teams had done in, in individual games. And it wasn't really very useful until about mid-January. But what he decided to do a few years ago is to basically do a preseason ranking so that they can slowly adjust through the year. And then by the time uh, mid-January comes along, the enti- the preseason ranking is totally dissipated from the calculations, but it's kind of slowly uh, kind of funneled down. And that makes the early season projections more interesting. It makes it a little bit uh, easier to kind of see which teams are, are doing better or worse in expectations and what you should expect from them. Um, although he would admit that it's just kind of not, the goal is not so much to project the whole season uh, accurately, but the goal is more to set a baseline that is more accurate than starting from scratch. Anyway, he likes to drop these uh, rankings randomly. He doesn't like announce it very quickly. He'll just kind of drop it on a random morning. He does that. Low, I think... A little frills guy, Ken Pomeroy. Yeah, he even has his own podcast now. I believe it's called the Ken Pom Podcast. Um, <laughs> Aptly so named. Check that out. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I used to do in that podcast is talk about different players with different names. He has like a Shaq versus Kobe thing. There was never any players named Shaq or Kobe before Shaq or Kobe in college basketball. Of course, Kobe never even played college basketball. But now there's like a race between who has more college players, Kobe or Shaq. And I think this year they might be a tie after Shaq had kind of a long reign in front. Anyway, so he dropped his preseason rankings this year on Saturday. And then the AP dropped its um, preseason rankings on Saturday, uh, today is Monday. We're recording Monday, October 22nd, for those of you who are you know, very curious about that sort of detail. And so we figured we'd spend a little time talking about the various rankings. What do we see? What do we like? What don't we like? Um, and I'll throw it off to you, Tom. What, do you, what did you notice when you first looked at the, either the Ken Palm ratings or AP, wherever you want to start? Well, the first thing I noticed is that Kansas is one in both. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. Hey, yeah, consistency. Che- cheaters sometimes prosper. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
we'll get to the FBI stuff a little later. Uh, the, actually, the only two schools that both the AP and Ken Palm agreed on uh, spot for spot was Kansas at number one and Kansas State at number 12, the next best Big 12 team. So if you record your cold open next year, Brendan, Kansas State may be the team that you record for the runner-up in 2019. So, so K State was picked in front of um, West Virginia in the uh, in the AP poll, huh? Yeah, thirteenth. West Virginia's tenth in Ken Palm. Yeah. Yeah. So they bring um, almost everybody back. So I mean, that's about sounds about right. Uh, yeah. I mean, the question is, like, you know, with Kansas, there's no doubt they're going to be good this year with all the transfers they have coming in, the Lawson brothers, and their top-flight recruiting class. It's pretty crazy they can lose players like Defonte Graham and Malik Newman and just turn over a whole new leaf with half transfers which is not that common for them and then obviously half blue chip prospects which uh is pretty common for them so uh that's that's the first thing that grabbed me and then we'll just see the um ken palm not nearly assigned kentucky i don't know it's, uh, they're both in the top 10 as the ap can, uh kansas ken palm is kentucky at seventh and the ap has them at second so i'm not sure why ken palm doesn't like kentucky as much as everybody else but i would tend to think they'll end up closer to second than seventh by the end of the year yeah, I mean, I think it's, it'd be interesting because um, Kentucky, for once, may have some shooting. They haven't had very good shooting in a long time, but this year um, they have uh, a much better potential to shoot the ball well than they have in the past. Um, they bring in, I believe his name's Tyler Harrow. I mean, I've got his first name right, but, you know, um, uh, Quade Green is back, um, so I think their shooting might be a little bit better this year. But their offense is a little bit archaic. They just a lot of post-ups. Um, you, might, you might see a lot of flailing Nick Richards. They brought in Reed Travis, who's one of the top um, fifth-year transfers. Um, and people seem to really like him. I'm a little bit down on him. I just feel like, yes, it's good to have a fifth-year senior on your team when you're used to having one and dones, but he's ultimately not going to do very much for you in the defensive um, uh, like shot blocking or protecting the rim. And our post-ups with Reed Travis really going to be the best way for you guys to get to where you want to go if you're Kentucky. Now, now Kansas, you know, you can't really fault Bill Self for how he's won over the time that he's been in, in Lawrence. He pretty much wins the Big, Ten, Big 12 title every year. He's been to, what, three or four Final Fours. He won a national title. Um, Bill Self's and... actually, fun fact, he's lost in every round of the NCAA tournament. With that semifinal loss last year to Villanova, He's now lost in every round of the NCAA tournament except the playing game, or the first wow. four. That's um, that's quite a little <laughs> quite a resume. Know, what, what would you call that? Is it, that's not like a trifecta or like a bingo card or what? I don't know. It's a six. What's a six times exacta? I don't think they even go that far. In. Is that a sex a sex acta? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but as for Kentucky's defense, they were they would drop from seventh in adjusted defense uh, two years ago to 22nd last year under Calipari, and they are normally a a good defensive team. But actually, no, they're not actually. And the year before that, they were 39th, and then the team that went undefeated in the regular season was first, obviously. So really, since um, that team that lost to Wisconsin in the semifinal uh, dominated, they have kind of just been eh, sh shoulder shrugged to defense in, in Kentucky. So I guess that's a big concern for the Wildcats entering this year. 
Yeah, um, you know, that team had Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker and Trey Lyles and, and on and on. So that was just overwhelming talent until, um, I mean, they, they had a tough game against Notre Dame in the Elite Eight that year. And then ultimately Wisconsin with Frank Kaminsky and uh, Sam Decker, uh, et cetera, was able to knock them off. Um, when, I, when I look at the rankings, you know, I feel like there's a couple teams that are being a little bit undersold. Um, and I'll say that more about uh, the AP rankings than the Ken Palm rankings. And um, I look at Virginia and North Carolina. They're both in the top 10, but I, I kind of, like, if you made me bet on one team to finish first in the Ken Palm rankings entering the NCAA tournament, I would bet on Virginia. They just had Braxton Key, a transfer from Alabama, uh, who was ruled eligible to play immediately after transferring. Um, they have a great backcourt returning. They're very well coached. They obviously have the incredible stigma of losing to UMBC as the first ever one losing to a 16 in the NCAA tournament, but their regular season um, play has been uh, unmatched probably in the last four or five years. And North Carolina is very deep. Uh, they took a half a step back last year uh, after going to two straight national title games and winning the second one against Gonzaga. Last year, they didn't look quite as good most of the season, but they still bounced back to get a two-seed into the um, NCAA tournament, and they ultimately were defeated by the very athletic, and I guess on that day, they ended up playing really well, Texas A&M, uh, the team that beat Providence, actually, in the first round. Uh, so I, I would not be surprised if this is one of those North Carolina years where they make the Final Four or the, or the championship game, and I do think, if you were to ask me right now, I would pick both North Carolina and Virginia to finish in front of Duke. In the um, in the ACC right now, Duke is picked fourth in the ACC in uh, the AP poll and second in in Ken Palm. Yeah, I'm just clicking through Virginia. They have not finished worse than seventh in total defense, adjusted defense rather, since 2013. That's a long time. And of course, you know that every year it's going to be the same thing until they win the or make a Final Four. It's going to be the same thing. Is Tony Bennett's system fatally flawed? But all these teams lose in the first few rounds until they uh, win. Like Bill Self had that reputation. Roy Williams had that reputation as a loser until he won. So it's a tricky situation. Jay Wright, Jay Wright had that then. Now he's won two titles in three years. So like it's very easy to lose in the first two rounds or first four rounds even of an NCAA tournament. So I would not be too worried about Virginia. And of course, North Carolina is always good, even if Roy Williams never calls timeouts. But um, we'll see. I don't. The other thing that grabbed me was the SEC is suddenly exciting again. There are a lot of good teams in these, the top of these rankings. For a long time, it was just Kentucky and whoever else. Their years were only one or two teams made the NCAA tournament. That's obviously not going to happen this year. Tennessee brings everybody back. Auburn under Bruce Pearl. Brendan, another coach, is probably on your radar for um, possible NCAA violations. Um, ben Hallett at Mississippi State has quietly revived uh, that program. So I think they're in Florida, of course, is always dangerous. Uh, so I think the SEC will be much more exciting than it's been uh, in years past, especially with these teams coming back and Kentucky obviously trying to uh, stay on top of things. Yeah, the SEC is a conference that uh, I don't enjoy watching very much, I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. Um, you but... don't like the floor designs? You don't like the, uh, the announcement Yeah, I mean, in general, it hasn't been very good, and they always have a lot of 9 o'clock games. And, um, and when it comes to Bruce Pearl, he's somehow associated, I don't even remember how exactly, with Keno Davis, the f failed head coach at Providence College for three years. I remember when uh, he was at Tennessee and got had things rolling there. They came to Providence for the NCAA tournament. Um, I believe like St. Mary's was there and Villanova and some other teams. 
And I remember, I think it was one year after Davis had started at Providence. And the first year, they had a lot of returning players, and they were decent, a lot of seniors. Um, and people were still pretty excited about how things were looking, even though there were, I guess, red flags, especially looking backwards. But uh, Keno was talking about how he talked to Bruce Pearl, and that's how he wants to play at Providence, run, go fast, play athletic, get up and on the floor, and, and pressure teams, and all that kind of stuff. And that's what Tennessee did, actually, well. And they went to an Elite Eight, losing to Michigan State one year. Um, and I think they went pretty far losing maybe Ohio State, maybe in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight another year. Um, and then, of course, he had the problems, and Keno Davis had two terrible years. The next year as a Providence was fired, and now he's uh, running out mediocre teams in Central Michigan. Um, Keno Avis, you might call him. Yes, I I remember back <laughs> in the day, this was like 2000, 2010, um, I was watching a replay, because I, I had something to do, but I was watching Providence Marquette Big East Tournament game. This was, I believe, Keno Davis' last game at Providence, if I remember correctly. And um, they lost by like 30, gave up like 95 points. Just like kind of standard issue Providence College game at the time. And um, Jay Billis was doing the game and with Sean McDonough and probably Bill Raftery. And they had referred him to Keno Avis. And I saw things in the message board later. It's like Keno Avis. I was like, I don't understand it. Avis, we try harder? I don't, I like it. I don't <laughs> get it. But then Tom actually said, oh, Avis, no D, because his name's Davis. And so that, that fit perfectly, even though he did write, uh, have a, a DVD called Pressure Defense Principles. So anyway, did, that, did you Did you watch anyway. that one or no? Or you just saw that it was on um, the shelf? I didn't buy it. Um, I found it to be quite ironical. Um <laughs> And ultimately, uh, he left, and Ed Cooley came in, and the rest uh, so far has been uh, pretty darn good for uh, for Friar fans. And just a fact check, you, Brendan, the uh, 2007 Tennessee team lost to Ohio State in the final. Uh, sorry, in the uh, Sweet 16, and they lost in the regional final to Michigan State in 2010. That's the year Michigan State lost to Carolina in the championship game. So good memory. In between, they lost in 09. They lost to Oklahoma State in the first round. The Tennessee was a nine seed. And then in 08, they uh, lost to Louisville in the uh, round of 16 as a two seed. Yeah, so. that was a that was a great year for college basketball. 2008, um, just a lot of high quality teams and Kansas's only title since uh, 1988. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. so uh, yeah. What, what was what was the call from uh, from Jim Nance when 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 Chalmers hit the three? Uh, the Chalmers three. Uh, three was the unremarkable call. The uh, oh. overtime win was a Kansas comeback for the history books, right? Rock Chalk Championship. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah I, I remember. Did, didn't Kansas I may have play? Another... Oh, I was thinking about a different year. Kansas played Georgia Tech in 2004 and like oh, the yeah, they, they lost in the uh, yes, they lost that game in the um, yes. That was when that was when Bill Self, the old Bill Self, couldn't win the regional final. That was his thing, because he lost with um. He's, yeah, it was his first loss with Kansas, and then he had obviously lost with. Uh, he made a that was deep 2004. run. Yeah, I said 2005, 2004. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. These are the kind of digressions that we're looking forward to. And if you don't, you guys don't like this kind of digressions. You don't like digressions. You, you might not have found yeah. the right podcast. For you. <laughs> anyway, yeah. the SEC. Just a couple more thoughts on there. Um, Your boy Rick Barnes. I, I am a little skeptical. You know, Rick Barnes, of course, uh, Providence College head coach. And, you know, if you ever listen to the Iron College Basketball podcast, everything comes back to Memphis with Gary Parrish, and that's how it's going to be here with me and, and Providence. So just so you know, there's a there's seven uh, degrees of separation between pretty much everything in college basketball and Providence, at least in my head. Um, and so Rick Barnes was the coach of the only the first team to win a uh, Big East title, Big East tournament title for Providence back in 1994. A Friars team knocked off uh, first Villanova, and then UConn, a top-seeded UConn, 
and then Georgetown to win the Big East title. That was his last game, last year at Providence. He went to the NCAA tournament and lost to um, Antonio McDice, uh, I believe, in Alabama. I know it was Alabama. I think McDice was on that team. Uh, he went on to Clemson, was very successful, relatively speaking. Still couldn't beat UNC. Um, and then he went on to... to um, Texas and had a really good run for a long period of time, ran up against the cheating Kansas Jayhawks and wasn't unable to <laughs> ultimately overcome them, was fired and then brought into Tennessee and seemed to not have a very good recruiting classes or anything, but turned kind of a last place mediocre team into a a team that really could have gone to the Final Four last year, especially how that bracket came out. They lost a very close game to Loyola, who obviously went on to the Final Four um, as a Cinderella team. They are picked very high by everyone. They're 11th in Ken Palm, and they're, I think, 7th or 6th in, in the AP. Yeah. They got a first-place vote, and I, I, you know, Tennessee and Auburn, honestly, Auburn's 11th in um, uh, in the AP poll, and Auburn is 17th in Ken Palm. And I guess I, I f- favor more Ken Palm's view of these two teams. Um, they don't have superior uh, talent. Although Auburn definitely has pretty good talent, Tennessee has a returning SEC Player of the Year in Grant Williams. I'm not saying they shouldn't be top 11 in, in the preseason poll. I'm just saying that if you ask me who's going to be top 11 at the end of the year, I would not guess that either team would be in the top 11. So I, I don't know if it's just that their history, and I'm biased against it. I certainly don't like to be biased against teams that don't have great history. You know, as I feel like sometimes Providence gets that kind of bias against them, but. Um, I feel like Tennessee and Auburn, especially Tennessee, played over its head last year, and credit to uh, Rick Barnes and that team, but I think that ultimately they'll probably be more like four or five seeds this year, or six seeds, rather than two or three seeds. I think that's fair. I think what we see here with this, these predictions, though, is how much they probably value continuity. I'm sure the AP values continuity, because Tennessee, I think, brings back their top six scores. I know Grant Williams is back, great named Admiral Schofield is back, so they have a lot of people coming back. So I guess the people in the who do the AP poll, there's probably an inclination. Oh, they have everyone back. They were good last year. We'll vote them up high again this year. And I don't know exactly what goes into the Ken Palm mathematical formula, but I think that's probably something that uh, values in because he has all the data on it. So if he knows they were good last year, um, that would probably help them. So yeah, I mean it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing. The SEC again has those four or five teams there that are going to be dangerous. We'll see, but a few very surprising here. You take the under on uh, the Providence product, but I guess, yeah. Yeah. Uh, originally, he went to Lenore Ryan. I mean, you might remember him in his playing days back at Lenore Ryan, and uh, then coach George Mason, and then Providence, then Clemson, and uh, and Texas, and now Tennessee. He's basically been all in the South and Mid Atlantic except for his time in Providence. Kind of a fish out of water, but he had uh, you know six good seasons there, three NCAA tournaments. Great recruiting class. He had in his staff, I think Fran Fraschill was on his staff. Um, they brought in a lot of good players. Ultimately, really underachieved their rankings, but um, but then he had culminated with that Big East Tournament uh, championship. Um, what else are you looking at? What else you st- sticks out here? Maybe it'll be a pathway into another conference. I got three questions for you. Why do you think Texas is so much higher in, the Ken- in Ken Palm than in the AP? Why is UCLA ranked 21st in the AP? And why is, um, what's the other big one I just saw, I was looking at earlier today? Uh, I'll start with those Texas. Are the two, those are the two big ones, actually. So I think Texas, so a lot of what Ken Palm uses to to kind of use his rankings from year to year have to do with both continuity of the players. He does some bump some teams up for their, like, five stars especially, not so much for four stars, uh, as well as um, 
transfers from uh, other major programs. Um, the, the other part is the coaching. And coaching one, coaching continuity, and two, the coaching track record. And I think Shaka Smart's coaching track record has really helped Texas here. Um, now you can see, for instance, uh, they finished 2017 ranked 70, 70th in Ken Palm, and then they started 2018 ranked 37th. They ended up ranked, being ranked 36, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't like they ended up underachieving that, but they jumped a, a fair number of spots, 23 spots from the end of 2017 to the beginning of 2018. They added Mo Bamba. They originally were going to add um, Andrew Jones. Well, Andrew Jones was a sophomore, but he ended up getting injured. Matt Coleman was a freshman guard. And, um, but this year, I think it's partly that. Partly his, his defensive pedigree is so strong, and yet he really hasn't um, had great defenses. They haven't played that really great pressure style um, at Texas. Well, I guess that's a little bit unfair. He's been top 40 his first three years. It's really been the offense that struggled. So maybe I've been a bit unfair. He has the offense actually jumping from 80. They hear the offense as a Texas for Shaka Smart. 49th, 177th, 89th. And then he has it jumping to 24th this year. So I, that seems like a pretty high leap. Uh, Andrew Jones, of course, the player who missed most of last year with leukemia, is supposed to be back this year, and then he broke his toe. So, um, you know, obviously it's good that he's doing well, but there also seems to be a pretty good chance he's going to miss significant time. Uh, I'm definitely un, under on um, on Texas. And when it comes to UCLA, um, Steve Alford has had a spotty track record as well. i got to say one thing. As I flip through Ken Palm, he needs to fix the login. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same like, thing. <laughs> I go to like every other page he's asking me to log in. I'm like... You must have the most secure website of all time. It's like, uh, they <laughs> like should run the, over here. Yeah, I should have run the software for our elections. Um, so, <laughs> UCLA is forty uh, seventh in uh, in Ken Palm, and they're top twenty five. Well, I get to log in again just to see. The, <laughs> here we go. Um, <laughs> I'm sure to log in again once I want to see Steve Alford's track record. So, um, it, Steve Alford's teams have not been very good defensively at UCLA. He had a good run there um, at New Mexico at the, at the end when they were quite good. And people attribute that a little bit to um, the, one of his assistant coaches, which was Craig Neal. And Craig Neal ended up taking over as the head coach, was there for four years before getting fired. Um, since leaving Craig Neal and going to UCLA, he has not had a good defense there. Um, and so I think there's skepticism about his defense, also about the ball handling. Tiger Campbell, who um, uh, I, w- I would say famously, but it's not that famous, he originally committed <laughs> to DePaul, um, and then he decommitted from DePaul, which is kind of what I guess Chicago kids do, or Chicago area kids, they commit to DePaul when they're juniors, and then when they're seniors, they're like, I don't want to go to DePaul. And so he ended up saying, well, I'd rather go to UCLA than DePaul because it's Chicago or it's uh, Westwood. Um, not, I love Chicago. I went to school in Chicago, but regardless, you can understand why a kid might want to go to um, UCLA. But he's injured, and they have some ball handling problems. Aaron Holiday's gone. Thomas Welsh graduated. Jorgi Gallimon is gone. Gallimon. Their best player returning is um, is Chris Wilkes, I believe. Uh, I, I do think that the, one, the Pac-12 is not going to be very good, and two, that UCLA is not going to be uh, more than like a seven or eight seed at best, I would say. Yeah, Chris Wilkes is their leading guy back, and they have Moses Brown, who's a seven-footer out of New York, who could be uh, good for them. Uh, I was when going through. Can you name the last team Shaka Smart's beaten in the NCAA tournament and when when it was? Well, as I'm thinking about it, I'm going to mention that Moses Brown 
was uh, one of the founders, a Quaker, found, <laughs> one of the founders of the, um, in Providence and Rhode Island in general. Of course, Roger Williams is the fine founder of Rhode Island. Everyone knows that. But uh, but Moses Brown was one of the Brown brothers that, you know, Brown University, John Brown House. But Moses Brown was a really a good prep school at, uh, in Rhode Island when I was growing up. Um, where were like a lot of wealthy kids that went. Uh, I didn't go there, of course. Um the last team, so I remember, so I used to run this um, for fun only, no money involved, although gambling, I guess, now is legal, um, then say a tournament challenge where you would pick teams every day to advance, and as long as you got the teams right, you could advance, you couldn't pick a team twice. Some people would call it, what, a survivor pool kind of thing? Yes, exactly. Not a, a so, challenge, not a pool. Yeah, yeah, pool implies money. This was just for fun. Just bragging rights, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of work. That's what's cool about you, Brent, is you did so much work for this thing, there was no money involved. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and and despite that, PayPal sent me affidavit that I needed to sign. Uh, they were just relentless. Um, so them and Ken, they and Kempom should team up. They could stop cybercrime everywhere. Yeah, Putin wants no part of PayPal and Kempomroy. Um, so VCU was playing Stephen F. Austin in the NCAA tournament. And um, I had VCU in my survival pool that year. I really felt solid about that. They were playing well, and, and they were going to win the game. And then, you know, for reasons that defy, you know, common sense, they fouled in a three-point shot. And Stephen F. Austin made the three and made the free throw and won in overtime. And it was one of the toughest beats in Survivor Challenge history. So I guess it's, it goes before then. Yep. Um, I'm going to say that it was probably... Was it Kansas in the 2011 NCAA tournament? Is that too far? That is too far. Okay. Sorry. Thank, uh, thank you for twisting the knife. I think we're up to like four or five Kansas barbs already. already. We're up to a good start. I haven't said a bad word at all about Providence. Yeah. Well, hey, when you win 15 straight NCAA titles and then your your coaches are texting about paying Zion Williamson, I mean, um, you're a true anti-Zionist now, Tom, with, uh, <laughs> with Zion Williamson, one, not even going to Kansas, and two, getting him in a whole bunch of hot water. Yeah. Um, We'll so, okay. So did they did they beat Georgetown that same year? Because I I know they beat Georgetown the first round of a tournament one year. Um, but that's probably the same year. They beat Georgetown. Yeah. They well the yes they played him in the round of 64 in 2011. That was yeah, they, they were in the playing game right? against Southern Cal. Yeah. So yeah. Southern good. Cal is like in the playing game every year it seems. Um, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't 2011. Nope. So it, it was probably oh did they beat they beat Duke was earlier. That was when they had Greg Paulus. That was like 2007. Um, oh man, it was at VCU, right? Because he hasn't won a game at, at Texas. That's correct. Um, I was wondering what brought this up. I was wondering how much time Texas is going to live give him before he can win a game in the NCAA tournament. He says it'll be his fourth year there, and he's yeah. made it, I think two of the three, but he hasn't won a game yet. So. Yeah, Rick Barnes pretty much went every season, and he won games most of the time. So, who, so who, what year was it? If you give me the year, maybe I have a better shot. It was 2013. I'll give you. They won one game that year, and then they lost to Michigan. They got blown out by Michigan in the round of 32. Okay, that was the Michigan team that went all the way to the final. Um, so yeah. that so that year Michigan was like that. VC was like a 7-10 or a 6-11. Uh, this um, was a it was a 5-12 game. So VCU was a five. Yeah. And they beat beat a 12 and uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It was exactly. Akron, yeah. But that's a tough the thing one. is, you don't know the answer, but we got so much more information out of you. Just trying to get this down. For Moses Brown, not the basketball player. 
to. So we're uh, talking about. Are we back to UCLA? Oh yeah, well, and Sharif O'Neal's out for the year with heart condition too. So yeah. I, I, and the Pac-12 stinks. Um, also, the Pac-12 yeah. had. I, I was looking this up today, uh, believe it or not, but the Pac-12 has not finished in the top half in Ken Palm aggregate conference ranking of the six major conferences. So if you look at the the ACC, the Big East, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the SEC, and the and the Pac-10 or 12, those six conferences. The Pac-12 has not finished in the top three of those six conferences since 2009. It's been nine straight seasons they haven't finished. Nine in the top times, three. yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, um, and it used to be great back then. I mean, I remember an article that came out in Sports Illustrated in 2008, basically talking about how the Pac-12 or Pac-10 at the time was going to be the dominant force in college basketball because all the players wanted to go to the West Coast, and it was the year they had that Kevin Love stayed at home, stayed like on the West Coast at least, and went to UCLA. Ben Hallen had it rolling there, um, and we still had. I mean, Arizona was still good then. Um, Stanford was really good. Washington State with Tony Bennett had some good teams. Oregon had a lot of good teams then. Arizona State had just recruited James Harden. Um, and they were good. Arizona wasn't even that good at the time, and, and it still it seemed like it was on the rise. They were the top conference in Ken Palm in 2008 and 2009, um, and since then they haven't finished in the top three of the major conferences. So, anyway. Yeah, well, they still and then their tournaments in Vegas, so they enjoy that. And uh, yeah, maybe they'll they have had some Final Four teams. Oregon sneaking in a couple years mm-hmm. ago, so it hasn't been a total disaster, but. They benefited a lot two years ago from having three really good teams and then a bunch of crap. Yeah. So they had Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA were all very good. Remember, UCLA had Lonzo Ball, and they went. They had that great Sweet 16 where it was them and Kentucky and UNC, and then Butler was the fourth team in that regional. Um, and then Oregon went all the way to the Final Four, and then Arizona was a two seed. I mean, we know it didn't, it didn't go to the Final Four. They lost to oh, Xavier, that's right, and that was a bad loss. Um but uh, Sean Miller's had a bunch of those. Sean Miller and Tony Bennett are the two coaches that are kind of like in the Kyle Montgomery spot of best, uh, or Phil Mickelson spot of best uh, coaches not to win win the major or get to the Final Four in this case. Tony Bennett, I feel like it's a matter of time, although defense doesn't play as well in March as offense. For Sean Miller, I don't know. Um, you know, with oh. the, all the FBI stuff and how things are just falling apart for him towards that, down the stretch uh, this past year and... Um, you know, last year I came into the year thinking they were my team to win the national title, actually, and uh, they didn't get past. They got blown out by Buffalo in the first round. So. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'll, if I had to put my money on it, I would bet uh, Bennett first. But yeah, just but just that's more just because he's on much more solid ground at the um, at the uh, at Virginia than Mr. Miller is. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So you want, so you want, do you want to finally talk about the FBI stuff now? I know you've no, been no, dying to get no. some digs in. No? Not yet, not yet. I want to go to the this Ken Palm. I took some time making a Ken Palm comparison chart, okay? So I did a chart where it looked at the biggest risers and fallers in Ken Palm oh, yes. from the beginning of last year to the beginning of this year or the end of last year to the beginning of this year. And so I think it's some interesting things in here. Uh, so I want to call it a few. Here are the teams that from the beginning of last year, Kempon's preseason projections to the beginning of this year, have made the biggest gain, and this is adjusted margin, not in total ranking points. Nevada, who's uh, now sixth. They started last year 73rd. Uh, Eric Musselman has got a team that has a, a chance to make the Final Four and I guess win the national title. Seven teams got first-place votes in the AP poll, and so if they're sixth in Kempon, they probably have a shot. 
uh, Western Kentucky, where you have um, Rick Stansberry. He's known for, um, I think it's Jeff Goodman, who famously always spells Stansberry with a dollar sign because he thinks he pays his players. The second biggest riser, they started last year number 230, uh, and they start this year uh, 79th. Um, some other teams in there have no Syracuse. It looks like they're going to be better this year. St. Louis under with Travis Ford looking pretty good. Washington with a, a, a Syracuse assistant, former assistant, Mike Hopkins in the Pac-12 looking better. Um, we have Buffalo there. You can see Nebraska is another team that had a good year last year, although the Big Ten was kind of down. They missed the NCAA tournament. They look pretty good again this year. Um, those are the biggest risers from the beginning of last year, the beginning of this year. Um, and I'll run through some of the biggest followers. You can tell me what you think um, about these two groups. Arizona, the second biggest faller, from third entering last year to 76th in Ken Palm entering this year. Wichita State was fourth entering last year. They're 72nd entering this year. They lost pretty much everyone, even when their top freshmen transfer, uh, decided to decommit and went to Memphis. Um, and they've even had guys on the team transfer that seem to have a chance of having a big role. USC started last year 12th. They're now 61st entering this year. Uh, we saw Chemezi Metu go pro. Um, and they obviously had a player who was suspended because of the FBI investigation ended up going pro after the season ended as well. St. Mary started last year 30th, ended up not missing the NCAA tournament, and then they're 74th. Cincinnati was 11th starting, uh, starting the year last year, had a really bad loss to Nevada in the second round of the NCAA tournament, and then this year they're, they're 44th in three in the season. Another big school here, Texas A&M, 15th, and starting last year, another 48th. They had a Sweet 16 run last year, and then Northwestern, my alma mater, started last year 18th in Ken Palm. And they're this year, they're, they're 58th. Any any of those teams stick out to you at all? Uh, Arizona, for the obvious reasons, they lost a lot of guys and they're on terrible footing. Uh, Nevada is really the, on the risers, though. The Nevada is the one that is, you know, a huge puzzle for me because not only do they have a lot of players coming back, but they also have four transfers. You're used to scoring double digits a game, and obviously this is not going to happen uh, at that team. So I think that everyone's very high in them with a good reason, but I think Eric Musselman has a big problem or not a problem, but he's going to have to do some machinations to make sure that team gels quickly. Like I, I think, again, people see all these talented players, they come in, they have to be good. They're obviously going to be really deep. They're going to go 10 deep, I think. And then I saw they did get smoked by Washington in a scrimmage. So that had Musselman's ire raised, but I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting to see them. And that conference is, not really going to test them. Nevada's schedule is not going to... I don't think they have a very strong schedule this year. I'm going to check that. But if they don't have a strong schedule, they could get killed in the seeding if they somehow don't uh, win their conference tournament or you know have a bad loss or two on the road in the Mountain West. Yeah, a couple of things that you hit that I was thinking of while you were saying it is, uh, one, Washington is one of those risers as well. Um, and I wonder if Mike Hopkins played the 2-3 zone during the whole scrimmage, whether he played any man-to-man. Uh, can, you can imagine a 2-3 zone giving problems to even a veteran team with a lot of new players early in the season. Um, but Nevada, here's their non-conference schedule. They yeah, play I'm looking BYU at, right at home. B, you want to go through it? Yeah, BYU at home, uh, Pacific at home, Little Rock at home, Cal Baptist at home, Tulsa mm. in a neutral game, probably Thanksgiving, uh, yeah, San Thanksgiving Heath. Thanksgiving night. No, no, yeah. it's not San Heath. Fran ha- Frank Heath. Sorry, I was yeah. mixed yeah. up Stan Heath and Frank Heath. Then they're at Loyola Chicago, obviously a good game, at USC, then mm-hmm. uh, neutral Arizona State. Uh, Fighting Bobby Hurleys. Yeah, yeah. On, I playing Arizona on uh, an Arizona school on December 7th. Grand Canyon semi away. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, a Pearl Harbor reference for those of you yeah. out there. Good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, see if you know, yeah. Just let it go unsaid. Let the people pick up on it. Uh, South Dakota State at home. Akron, second Akron mention today. Didn't think that would happen. 
uh, and then Utah away. And that's their last A game in Ken Palm until they play San Diego State away on February 20th. So they are not looking like the resume-building team. And I know the whole uh, business of, the which we will talk about in another show, the new ranking systems for tournament profiles. But I just worry about Nevada. They you know trip up and lose. First of all, they didn't win their conference tournament last year, if I remember correctly. And then they trip up here, and then suddenly they're a five seed, and they're going to get a really tough time, even if they are really good. So that would be my concern about Nevada, besides the getting everybody to play. Um Oh, yeah, but last year they got blown out in the semis of the Mountain West tournament. So besides getting everybody to play, my concern for Nevada would be they just do not schedule. They didn't schedule anyone re- really good. They couldn't get anyone better than they have there in that schedule. It's a little weird. And Tom may or may not have been uh, at one of those conference tournament games. He finds his way around college yeah. basketball, whether it's Loyola, Nevada. You know, he, he tends to be wherever the uh, the mid-major action is. Um, I'm, but I'm yeah. like a much more profile Marlins man. Let's just leave <laughs> Well, a Lower couple things about the schedule. Too. Semi away against Grand Canyon, that's a tricky one. I guess semi away is easier because they're known for a really tough home court. I guess if you're semi away, you're not in there at their home court. Um, but I think you're right. We, we, we were saying about Nevada, basically assuming that they have a good season and they don't have too many hiccups, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. They'll probably have a decent seed. But if they do have a few losses, like St. Mary's did last year, where St. Mary's lost to Washington State in the non-conference, they didn't play anyone out of conference, they ended up missing the tournament. Nevada's probably too good to let that happen, and their schedule's much better than Saint, what St. Mary's was. But at the same time, you could see if things don't go well, the Mountain West hasn't been what, it's, what it used to be for about five or six years, really since uh, Steve Alford left. I mean, New Mexico was quite good. Um, and so you can see Nevada ending up with like a five or six seed, or even if they end up with a great seed and they go, say, I don't know, it has them going 27-3 and three in, in Ken Palm. Maybe they go 30-3 and, and three or 29-4. and four, They're going to get a good seed. Basically, their whole season is going to be building around the NCAA tournament. So, in a sense, he has three months or four months to figure it out, unlike some teams in other conferences. But in another sense, if they really tr- struggle in the beginning and lose a couple games, say, you know, BYU at home, Loyola on the road, USC on the road, Arizona State neutral, those are all losable games at Utah, a very losable game. Um, then they're going to be in trouble when it comes to the Mountain West uh, tournament. And that's one of the disadvantages of being mid-major is you really have to play well in November and December. If you don't play well in November and December, then either your seeding or your NCAA tournament uh, resume for getting in the tournament is going to be uh, severely lacking. Yeah, and the other team that jumped out at me being a Kansas fan is Wichita State. This would be the one year I'd be totally okay going to Wichita State and playing them. Um, you know, they've been clamoring for years. They, the NCAA had a sense of humor and put the teams against each other in the tournament. I think it was 2015 uh, when Kansas lost to them. So, yeah, and their schedule is much harder than um, – and they're in the American, which is a better conference than the Mountain West, and their non-conference schedule is much better. It has a semi-away against Oklahoma, and they have a game away at Providence. So we'll see – or, sorry, neutral game against Providence. And then they play Houston, who, of course, had the um, – well, it's a conference game. But – the point about, I mean, we'll see what Greg Marshall can do because he obviously has a high reputation. He was looked at for other jobs, and now uh, this will probably be his worst team entering the season uh, at Wichita State. So we'll see uh, what he does there. But um, yeah, but I would be fine playing as a Kansas fan. I'd be fine playing Wichita State this year. Yeah, Wichita State hasn't finished outside the top 30 in Ken Palm since 2010. That's eight straight seasons in the top 30. Um, and you did mention they play Providence. Uh, that's in Annapolis at, um, that first Friday of the season. A big game for both teams in terms of uh, trying to get a resume win for the NCAA tournament. 
Davidson they have. Davidson, some have as the favorite in the Atlantic 10, also a neutral court game. They have a, a, a vulnerable Baylor team um, December 1st as well. And Oklahoma, most people have Oklahoma and Baylor as the 8th and ninth teams in the Big 12, which is still really good. They're still top 55 in Ken Palm, but those are both winnable and losable games. And at VCU, whereas they're not a, it's not a vintage VCU team, um, but Mike Rhodes, his team is decent and it's on the road. It's um, That's a kind of a coin flip game, according to Ken Palm. Yeah, so those are the teams that jump out at me, and we'll see. I mean, I don't know really. Uh, Cincinnati has been dis- was disappointing last year, obviously, and Louisville. I guess Louisville. I would also be not shocked if they just reverse that trend. Um, now, last year was obviously a ridiculous year uh, for them with the whole um, with the whole firing of Patino and having Paget in as the uh, interim head coach, and now. Um, who they hire? I'm drawing a huge blank here. Chris Mack. From Chris Mack, Xavier. right? Right. So, um, he, um, so yeah, I think that's a good hire for them. I think that'll get them solidified, and we'll see. I could see them being a bounce back team. So of the teams that on that dropped, uh, that the biggest movers down, I could see them uh, swinging back up. And I'm yeah. sure you're hoping for Northwestern, but. Uh, yeah, most people in Northwestern, 11, 12, 13, the Big Ten. The Big Ten is actually very deep this year. The top of the Big Ten isn't that strong, but it's it's pretty deep through 13, and then there's Rutgers. Um, and so I, I think that they could finish 9 or 10, and that would be a really good season, and they could find them near the bubble. But um, the 58th in Ken Palm, that should be a team that should be in the discussion come February, as long as they don't have a terrible non-conference. One last team, the number 25 biggest faller is uh, Josh Pastner in Georgia Tech. Uh, they had a good year two years ago, uh, almost made the end, well, kind of challenged in the area of the NCAA tournament before missing the tournament, and then um, fell a lot last year. They they started um, last year 44th, and now they're starting this year 92nd, um, and they probably will be one of the three or two or three worst teams in the uh, in the ACC. Yeah. So let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. We've, we've, we'll have so much time to talk about these teams in the future, but uh, let's move on to the FBI trial. Um the FBI trial uh, is—we could have a decision any day. You know, there are a lot of people covering it: Pete Thamel, Matt Norlander, Adam Zagoria, other people. Dan you know, we're not there. Yeah, we're not that interested in it really, except that uh, it could lead to the complete end of Kansas basketball as we know it. <laughs> um, but if that doesn't happen, at least um, you know we know more about Bill Self's texting habits. What are your thoughts, Tom? Uh, my thoughts are—it's first of all. It's a very strange trial because basically they put three people on trial for defrauding universities. So they're saying that these people are paying players on behalf of shoe companies and whatnot are actually defrauding the schools like Kansas or Louisville and other schools by providing impermissible benefits to the players and then exposing the universities to sanctions when those players play for them, which I find really hard to believe. I don't really think that the FBI agents and whoever investigating this and the U.S. attorneys who are prosecuting these charges really think that the universities don't know about it. I think they're doing it to kind of expose it, which is fine. I'm not saying it's good for the sport. I'm not saying that um, that it's not a black eye on the sport or that it's, you know, we should be in denial about anything. But the idea that it's that this is an honest fraud case. It just doesn't, it doesn't pass the smell test to me. So that's my first comment on that. And the second comment on that is just how it's going to affect um, the NCAA. And everyone's been talking about this and I kind of agree with it. Like there's certain situations where stuff that's not admitted into the trial, like the jury has no idea 
that Kansas assistant Curtis Townsend is texting about benefits, giving uh, benefits for Zion Williamson to get him there for 10 months. They have no idea that he texted that. And that's not going to affect the trial at all, but it could very well lead to an NCAA investigation of Kansas and um, Townsend or self uh, as well. So that's, that's it's funny how the what could be exonerated evidence for these accused uh, people accused of fraud uh, is actually going to not go to the jury but could end up hurting uh, Kansas and uh, possibly Duke also and then of course everyone's talking about well if Duke is linked to this is the NCAA really going to investigate Kansas or at least a Duke player is linked to this because Williamson obviously is playing for Duke if if um, if Williamson is playing for Duke and linked to it, is, is the NCAA really going to investigate Kansas's attempts to woo Williamson and then just like stop there and be like, well, he's, I mean, he's at Duke, but there's no evidence of any Duke wrongdoing, so we're just going to stop there and just look at the recruiting by Kansas. So that's the big question, I guess, out of this. Yeah, those of you who are familiar with Zion Williamson, he's uh, was kind of a YouTube celebrity and star in high school um he's like 6'8 280 and but he has amazing leaping ability so it's very strange to see someone so massive it's kind of like lebron james in terms of um just like athletic ability at his size he's not the same kind of like thinker of the game and passer distributor and that sort of thing but he he's one of the, probably the most famous player in college basketball right now and he's uh, he's linked his stepfather uh, is linked to some reports or some evidence that he asked for money um, from the person who's associated with Adidas, TJ Gasnola, I believe his name is. And um, and so Kansas and Louisville are are very big in the scandal because those are the two big uh, Adidas schools. Uh, of course, if the if this has been an, a, a Nike investigation, I'm sure we'd see Oregon and Kentucky and Duke and UNC uh, heavily implicated as well. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, this is going to lead a lot to like, so it's weird for me. On the one hand, there's a black market here because of how the players are supposed to be amateurs and yet they're clearly valuable and they're not being paid. And so therefore there is a value in like finding a way to use money to get them to come and go to certain schools. At the same time, um, I think that if you even lopped off the top 30 players in college basketball and they went straight to some kind of NBA system, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, you would not see a huge fall off in the popularity of college basketball. So it's like these players are valuable and because they're going to college and it's, it helps to win. But at the same time, they're somewhat fungible because the, I, I would say, maybe this is kind of result, the core value of college basketball is in its programs. Um, and so it's a little bit strange. It's like maybe the money would still be there, but for these other players, if they were going, if they, if the top players were gone. But I'm not sure the shoe companies would be quite as involved because they want to connect with potential NBA players um, for their pro careers. Uh, but it, it, it is a strange situation. I, I'm not sure what comes of it. It might take several years to actually affect college basketball in a real kind of tangible punishment way. Um, and the question is, you know, one of the questions is, will Silvio D'Souza, for instance, be held out by Kansas? He was connected to reports that he was wanted money. He was paid money by Under Armour to go to Maryland. Of course, he didn't go to Maryland. So the you know, the, the whole thing is like this guy was going to take money to go to Maryland. He didn't end up going to Maryland. He went to Kansas. So are we supposed to believe that he just gave back the twenty thousand dollars or whatever, or and decided to go to Kansas for free, or was there money from Kansas? Same thing with Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson apparently wanted money to go to Kansas, and Kansas maybe was willing to offer him money. 
But if they were willing to offer money to go to Kansas, did he just decide to go to Duke instead? And, and just said, eh, I won't take any money. I'd rather go be part of the Brotherhood and play with R.J. Barrett and et cetera. Like, so that, that's going to – it's like by implication, like by association. It's it's a – like we don't have any like wire transfers, you know, besides like testimony of someone like Christian Dawkins, which I'm not – I haven't really seen his name come up. Is, is he, has he been really involved in this, in this investigation? I don't think this trial necessarily, but – other ones, yes. It's just it's very because it's everything is confusing because white is black and black is white and what you would think like oh the FBI would be trying to prove the schools were involved but no they're trying to prove the schools were not involved like the, the FBI and the, or the U.S. Attorney I should say and Bill Self are really on the same page here. They want Bill Self wants a guilty verdict and for these people for being fraudsters but obviously they're uh, they don't want it. And they've basically made their whole case saying Bill Self knew about this. Bill Self had to know about this. And of course, any reasonable person knows that Bill Self is, people are not going to go around on behalf of Kansas basketball, recruiting people and paying them money without his knowing. But that's it's one thing for us to say, oh, any reasonable person, but then also a standard in a court of law in a federal court in Manhattan. So that's the difference. But that's just very confusing because you would think, evidence of payments would be bad for Kansas, but if they can get a conviction here, it might actually help Kansas. And the jury on Monday was deliberating, but there was no verdict, and so it could come as early as Tuesday, the 23rd. But, yeah, it's just a strange it's a strange situation. It's not a good look for the sport, but, again, are we really that shocked that people are getting paid like fifty dollars to $100,000 by shoe companies? Yeah, especially when we see Darius Baisley this is a good segue to our next uh, topic. Darius Baisley was a prospect who was supposed to go to Syracuse. He ended up deciding he wanted to go pro, and he wanted to play in the G League. Ultimately, the G League, I think, decided they didn't want him. And he just signed today as part of uh, Rich Paul's group. Uh, a $1 million guarantee up to like $14 million total um, deal with New Balance. So this guy is not even like a top 10 recruit, and he just signed... A $1 million guarantee and a $14 million total potential contract with New Balance. First, they get Sidney McLaughlin, with the top, uh, one of the top young sprinters in the, in the world, and 400-meter uh, hurdler, 400-meter uh, you know, flat uh, sprinter as well. Go Sid. Um, and now they get uh, Darius Baisley, who was not good enough for the G League, but is good enough to sign a $14 million contract with New Balance, which brings us to this G League rule that was announced last week. What are your, tell us about the rule, Tom, and what do you think about it? So the rule is basically select few uh, college uh, basketball prospects rather than go into play one year in college and be one and done because of the NBA's age limit. The NBA, of course, limits people from entering the league until age 19. That was a David Stern uh, negotiated um, provision of a collective bargaining agreement several agreements ago. So, to, uh, so, but that's led to, of course, a bunch of situations where the top basketball players in the country are going to Kentucky, Duke, Kansas for one year and then leaving. Everyone knows at the start that they're going to be there for one year and leaving. So what this does is instead of having them go to Kansas or Duke or North Carolina or wherever, they get to play in the D League for $125,000 for one year and then they can be drafted into the NBA after that. And then they are not eligible to be called up during the year from the uh, G League team. And, you know, the typical salary in the G League is like 35000 or I'm not sure if it's typical, but a common salary is 35000 So it's obviously much more um, than uh, a regular G League player would get. And it's probably, well, it depends on what you think about college basketball, but it's more explicit payments than you would get playing for Duke and North Carolina, etc. So the question is, is this good or bad 
for college basketball? Do, if people are so sick of the one and dones, is it going to be good because it's going to stop that? Or is it going to be bad because it's going to take a lot of the elite talent out of uh, the game? And you're going to see, like, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Brendan, you know, 30 players lopped off the top or whatever it is. And we start seeing, like, the second best set of players. And of course, this all is just a preamble to the NBA and the NBA Players Association are trying to get the age limit back down to 18, where people can just enter the league. Uh, whenever, it's just but it's a question about medical records and other stuff that's still being uh, hashed out, and there's that's hit a bunch of snags. So, my personal opinion is I don't think it's even that advisable for a player to go to the G League for one year. Um, but because I don't know, you're probably going to get more exposure. At, you, you'll get as much exposure at college, and you can really control the environment a little bit more, and maybe make your keep your keep a bigger stake in your. Uh, draft stock that if you go to a G League team and you know, the coach doesn't like you or whatever and it just goes south. Yeah, I think this is a, actually a great rule for the NCAA because it, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on the NCAA to have more fair, less exploitative uh, payment practices for uh, for top players. Um, and, you know, it's really the top handful of players that are being exploited based on, compared to their actual value because most of the players wouldn't be able to make like the, basically the value of a scholarship of fifty thousand dollars for for instance um making to the room and board and everything uh, outside of college uh, i think this is great for the ncaa because it it creates a second uh, lever to allow players to go pro so right now players can go to europe or australia or, or asia or something um if they want to but that's obviously a tricky thing for for a 17 or 18 year old to do coming out of high school in america um, considering how sheltered and, and, non, and non-cosmopolitan most Americans are. The idea of like spending a year in, in China or Turkey is uh, kind of out, outlandish. Um, and now they have the opportunity to play in the United States. And so even if not that many players choose this option, um, I think you'll see, one, if players don't choose the option, then, you, then it's more justification for how much value there is in the college experience, both in terms of the quality of the coaching, the brand, the, the charter jets, and the, all the meals, and just the, the college kind of lifestyle. And to, or two, on the other hand, if uh, a bunch of players do go and take it, then it's like, well, we don't need to pay players. They have an opportunity to be paid. We're the amateur option here in college basketball. If you want to be paid, you can go to the G League or you can go to Europe. Um, but in college basketball, your payment is through your education and through your stipend and through your food and board and travel and and every uh, and every school like beloving you because you're uh, you're six nine and can dunk. Yeah, you're a big man on campus, and I think it will also get the NCAA or the schools will get a boost because like because the players will say, oh, I could have gone to the G League, but what I really wanted was a fallback because it didn't work out for basketball. So I'm here at insert school here because if I know if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be able to walk away four years from now with a degree. So it's going to give them all sorts of talking points. And I didn't really, yeah, obviously the one and done does not help uh, college basketball. They probably want to get rid of the age limit altogether, but uh, this is a good step for the NCAA to try to get a situation where they can just have it both ways, where they don't have to pay the players if they do come, they'll still probably get most of the good players. They don't have to pay them, but if they and they but they still get the benefit of you know saying this is like a this is an amateur sport. It's for the education. It's for the school. It's for all that. So I think it's a it's a good step for them. And we'll see what happens with the age limit getting negotiated. Of course, because it's totally unfair to the players to have to wait a year to play in the NBA just to have them 
get some more information and more security in their investment. Like they'd be happy to do it at 18 if they were, if it wasn't bargained out. So I think that it's uh the age limit is just not good for the players, but we'll see how that goes as those negotiations go on. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think, you know, people sometimes forget they, they blame the NCAA for the one and done rule. It's not the NCAA's doing basically the NBA is, is exploiting the NCAA and, and mutually in like a in like a way that the NCAA actually enjoys in many ways um, to get more information about players and to not have to have issues with Corleone Youngs of the world um, not ready for the NBA and and uh, and basically paying players and make, taking risks on players they have less information on and end up being bad investments and make the NBA look bad. Um, so I think that this is actually about as good as it gets for the NCAA um, and until they change the rule. So anyway, I, th- I think we're that's gonna that's our topics for the week. Um, we have other things we want to talk about, but we, we we've already gone for about an hour, so I don't want to I want to leave you wanting more. So I think we're planning to do this about once a week. Um, we'll see what happens during the season. If if the need and maybe the audience benefit uh, does that demands it, um, we will meet more often. I do want to um, shout out a few of our ways you can get in touch with us. You can email us at double bonus pod. That's double bonus pod at gmail.com you can hit us up on twitter at at double bonus pod uh, that's where we're going to be when it comes to social media we're not going to be on facebook and snapchat and instagram and whatever anything else i thought you said we'll we were be... we weren't going to be on snapchat brendan what happened uh you can you can run the snapchat account tom um <laughs> but don't spend any of our any of our budget on those filters it's not worth it um you can also see it's at doublebonuspod.com. Basically, for the most part, that'll just be a place where you can kind of see all of our podcasts. We'll be available on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe and rate and write reviews. Um, and, you know, eventually as we get, get going, we'll we'll try to get up on Spotify and on Stitcher and on uh, Google Play Music. And one last thing I want to say, you heard the music in the, at the beginning and also you hear it at the end. It is license-free music, so I did want to... Um, mention that the song is called going higher and it's from bensound.com so yeah that way i won't feel as bad about taking this license free music um although we can get a license for it make us pay for it that's another option but (laughs) until that day comes we will thank bensound.com for going higher anything to add tom uh no that's it what are we going to be talking about next next week brendan Oh, next week. What do we have? Some, talking about some of the coaching well, changes. First, that let's check seen. off the obvious. We're going to talk about Providence, yep. American history, mm-hmm. Kansas, and the FBI trial verdict, probably. And a blood One on their hands. We didn't get to. We didn't get to Seinfeld this week. I thought at first when you said white is black and black is white, I was going to do like cookie. a look to the cookie reference, but it, it yeah. never really came together. Oh. Um, but you'll hear a lot of uh, a few good men references, good will hunting. You'll get some West Wing from me, Seinfeld from both of us. Tom has some more variety as well. I'm pretty much a West Wing and, and Seinfeld kind of reference guy. Um, but we also, so we, 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 what we want to do is we want to have our first kind of draft. We have to make some some picks too probably because the season will start probably by the time we do the next time. So I have a little Final Four draft that we're thinking of doing and also an overrated, underrated where we'll take the media or, or coaches polls for each conference and basically pick teams and pick over or under and we'll get points by the end of the season based on how they do. And also I mentioned earlier, taking a look at some of the new coaches, transfers, freshmen for you to get familiar with as the season starts. Um, and depending on when we do it, we might even have to 
preview the Champions Classic because uh, it's going to be two weeks from tomorrow. So unless we get a podcast out maybe that Sunday night beforehand, we probably want to spend a little time talking about uh, Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas, uh, Michigan State. Definitely. What do you think, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always a good way to tip off the season. Yeah, usually they do that. They used to do the 24-hour marathon. Well, they used to start the season on a Friday, and it was kind of a, a, a whimper. Then you have a Saturday, Sunday of games, and then starting the following Monday night, they would do the 24-hour marathon. And then you'd wake up at like 4 in the morning, and, and like Loyola, Maryland was playing um, like Ryder in, uh, <laughs> at like five, 4 in the morning, with, and all the fans were wearing their pajamas. Um, and then eventually that night, you would have the Champions Classic. But now they're doing the first night, no marathon, Champions Classic, straight at it. Um, and that'll be exciting to, to watch all those freshmen from Kentucky and Duke, and then Kansas with the transfers, and Michigan State with um, Cassius Winston and Nick Ward and some other good players returning. Anyway, until that comes, we have a maybe two podcasts before then, but check us out and um, tell your friends if you like us. If you, if you don't like us, you can keep that a secret. And um, otherwise, we'll catch you next time on Double Bonus Podcast.